It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome for th- to Thursday's special guest episode of a For Crying Out Loud. And we have a special guest in studio, Jillian Lauren, who, by the way, is one of our f- most memorable, I just told her this off air, one of our most memorable guests that we've ever had on For Crying Out Loud of all yes. time. Yes, she wrote the book Some Girls about her time in a harem, and you told us the whole story and it's yeah. a beautifully written book, that book Thank too. You. Yes. And it's so on it was so honest and like but entertaining, like we were just talking about before. And uh I feel like kind of a breakthrough book. That book did really well, right? It did. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great book. I know. It was like they were just throwing spaghetti at the wall. They were like, sure, you're a slut. <laughs> And maybe this book will do like it was like maybe something will happen and it was the little engine that could. You know, it like you know, it it blew up and it's been translated in eighteen languages and I always think, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you know, you just have this wild life, this wild, wild life. I'm like, I do, it's true. You know, I guess if you it doesn't feel like it, right? When it's your life, right? Right. But also, you know, I'm a writer. Yes, <laughs> right. You know, plenty of people have wild lives. <laughs> but you were already a writer before you went. Before you wrote some girls, you were already a writer, correct? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I, I would have identified that way. Like I'd be. I think my passport actually said performance artist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that might be actually closer to the truth than anything else. But yeah, I had a passport that said my occupation was performance artist. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Can I do, we just revisit that for one second? Yeah. So for people that don't know, how did you end up in a harem? Well, um, I was trying to be an actor. I was living in New York. Uh, is this how every horrible story starts? <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Um, and uh, I went to college very early. Um, I went to college when I was 16. So I was at NYU. You know, and as my 15 year old son says now, I don't think that was a very good idea, mom. It doesn't sound very safe, mom. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. Like <laughs> I did something right. <laughs> and it definitely wasn't that. Um, but you know, I left NYU. I was going on these auditions and uh, I was working on a vampire movie, victim one. Every time, <laughs> like always, the victim, never the perp. <laughs> <laughs> victim oh one, great tagline. And I, <laughs> I made it up right there on the spot. Um, you know, I had a, a tearaway cheerleader uniform, <laughs> like I was running through some beach in the Hamptons in freezing cold with, you know, a cheerleader uniform that came off and bruises, right? Um, And there I met a young woman who also was in the same kind of, you know, trying to make it and also doing everything you have to do to live in New York, which is basically donate a kidney. And, um, And she was like, you are ruining your knees acting like a stripper and... Uh, I actually have this audition that, you know, you can make way more money in shorter time. And I was like, oh, this friend, this new friend. And mm-hmm. I went, I went to the audition and I got it. And then they called me and said, actually, that was not audition. It was an invitation to come to the parties of the richest man in the world which I, he's been knocked off into, like, number four now. I oh, think. oh, but he's still up there. He's still up there, yeah. I mean, they have such oil reserves. Mm. It's it, it's really about resources. Right. Um, it's tiny country, but... So did you know anything about it at the time? No, or were you I never just like, even heard of it. Right. They were like, you're That's being, how I'd be. I'd be right. like, all right, right, how much money? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was... They said $20,000 for two weeks. And I was like, I've never heard that amount of money before in my life. I mean, I, I left for Brunei three days after I was 18. Oh, my God. You know? Wow. And I had already been trying to support myself in New York. And I was just like, this is going to be a breeze and a half. And they're like, all you have to do is sing songs and dance and go and i'm like i'm pretty sure that's not all i'm gonna have to do but so you did suspect i'm not an idiot and i'm not a diplomat (laughs) so (laughs) you know i thought probably yeah that you know there was going to be some shady shit going on and there absolutely was and did for the next year and a half. <laughs> but I wow. remember you said that Pri- Prince Jeffrey, was that his name? Yes, Prince Jeffrey. You never called him that, though. You have to call him Robin. Robin? Mm-hmm. 
Robin. I know, isn't it's like so lame. <laughs> like the Sultan, you had to call him Marty. Oh my Marty. god. I know. I was like like my uncle Marty. Like you couldn't know. What is he? If you can just pick well, because they Brad? go they all yeah. go like Robin? Yeah. You have to call him Robin. You I'd can't be like, call him you, Prince. You don't Jeffrey. want like Greg? Or like uh, I know, Marty. I don't like no, or like just Chris Helmsworth is my name. Yeah. <laughs> but you said he was kind of cute, right? Like you were. No, he was. I mean, you know, a little short <laughs> for me. <laughs> he always said, "Wear flats." I was like, "I'd rather die." <laughs> but um, you know, a little short. And but he was thirty, thirty something. Early thirties right. when I was, you know, in my very, I, I'm, I'm just like not early teens, like my late yeah. teens, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, that just seemed like so old. <laughs> right. Any younger um, ones around? Any younger guys? Um. Well, he had an entourage. Okay. Um. But. All of them had girlfriends within this harem. So it was just a big party every single night. Right, right. And, but like his entourage, there may be 10 of them. Some of them I liked more than others, you know, some were cool. Um, But they would have a girlfriend Mm -hmm. there. But like if you were Prince Jeffrey's girlfriend, then you were not up for grabs. I feel like. In the story, I mean, I read it so long ago, but yeah. I feel like I remember that you were you kind of were in and out of favor, like you were, uh huh, right. like you were the Always. you were the prized, you were like number one for a little while, right? No, never, oh, never. Number, number three, two. oh, number two, okay. <laughs> and two weeks led more, and it did not end up being two weeks. It ended up being a, a year and a, a year half. and a half, eighteen months. Yeah. Wow, Jesus, I know. And and, and then you and, went home, and didn't you go back? Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I yes, I went That's I went right. home and I went back. Like mm-hmm. there was this I, I had I this whole <laughs> I know, it's you know, it's you but go you back and you're like actually like if you're talking about sex trafficking, right? Which like, right. I don't tend to like hit that really hard because <laughs> I feel <laughs> um it's the minute that people stop listening. You know, mm-hmm. but I I was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. and I was, you know, very quickly sort of drawn into this thing that was presented as one thing and then was actually another thing. Right. I mean, and when I talk about it, I always say, you know, I know it sounds like when you read the shopping chapter like when I got sent shopping in Singapore and they closed down all the malls and I had a guard with me with a Louis Vuitton sack full of cash mm-hmm. just saying like hit Chanel, hit like every designer store and get everything you want. It was like that mom at Toys R Us or whatever. Right. That is now just like, they're like, you have 15 minutes to get every single Cabbage Patch kit. Right. Um, and uh, like they read that and go, 
like, wow, it sounds so glamorous and fantastic. And I wish I could do that. And then, you know, I mean, the truth was, and also now I look back and I'm like, could you be a little more fun? Like, does everything have to be a bummer? And we can move into my next book with that. Which is but so like, much more everything does have to be a bummer. I came, you know, everyone's like, oh, the shopping trip where you get to buy every Armani gown. You know, there's no price limit. I'm throwing Chanel purses at them. Like, just, just these. And that one too. And that also. And that sounds like your dream, but. Like, really what I did was go home after that and just, like, cry. Right. Because, you know, there were 15 suitcases in front of me. And I was not an idiot. Not then or not ever. And I was like, this is disgusting. You know, like... Right. Yes, I did just get to run through a mall and throw Chanel purses, at, you know, and I did the dumbest thing. Do you want to know what I did? Yeah. Like, I was like, I, I just have to clean. I had one of those Marie Kondo moments. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this doesn't bring me joy to touch this Chanel purse. So I'm giving it to my babysitter. I'm giving them all to my babysitter. All mm. of it. I know. I have like one thing left. Wow. Good. I say, Good but you. I was just like, I gave it all away. Right. And I mean, I can't say, you know, that that process for me was, you know, I'm like, dumbass. You couldn't have sold it on the real, real. <laughs> <laughs> But also, kind of, I don't know that there would have been enough money. Right. Like, then to pay for me just saying, fuck you, this isn't ever what really mattered to me. Do you feel like writing the book in some ways helped you process, you know, what you went through and, and maybe some of the trauma from that, like, helped you figure out a way to look at it or do you think it was more time like now as a real mm. grown woman you can right. look back and go grown like, ass uh, woman yeah i know i hate that um <laughs> i'm assuming you have a lot of therapy i hate being a grown ass woman <laughs> um i think that writing is not therapy however the writing process for me has given me a way to frame the world, right? It has give, It's given me a reason to pay attention. And, and yes, I was a writer-ish when I went to Brunei, but really it, I started being a writer there, frankly, because it was so damn boring, mm-hmm. you know? And all of a sudden my journals turned into not like, I need to lose five pounds. And, yeah. And Chris is real cute. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really need to do better in juggling class, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. in experimental theater school. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know how much I impress my kids, my juggling skills now? You never know 
how these things are gonna <laughs> I can juggle. You can juggle. These things are gonna turn out. I can juggle a little bit. Only three. I can juggle I three. I can juggle three. All right, fine. I can do we two can in all one hand. juggle three. <laughs> Have a juggle off. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't make me add a fourth and lie. <laughs> so, but really, yeah. um, I don't think writing is therapy. I think you need therapy for the writing. However, like, writing has given me meaning. Yeah. As a person and, uh, and as an artist. And and a way to grapple with stuff that, you know, I, I've been talking to my husband lately. I'm like, did you even know that this, this, and this happened? And he's like, not like that was not one of the things you mentioned in the 19 episodes of sexual abuse. or sex, You know, um, writing has given me a way to take that narrative right. and make it mine. Right. I can't say it fixed, it fixed me or it was cathartic or, but it's given me a purpose in life. Well, let, I think let's take a quick break and we'll get to her new book. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. Laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we're back. So you've written some books in between. This book is something very different for you. And um, it's called Behold the Monster, a very uh, attention-grabbing title, I think. And it's about the serial killer, Sam Little. Mm -hmm. And you, like a lot of us, especially women, were already into true crime, already fascinated by true crime. I want to hear, I have read some of this book so far. I only got the book, full disclosure, a couple of days ago, but I've already, it's already (laughs) can't put it down. My husband was like, what are you reading? Like constantly, like every few minutes, I was Mm -hmm. like picking the book back up. And he's like, what is that? I was like, she's going to be a guest on our show. And it's so good. And this book has everything. So it's basically how you found this case and how you got into it. And then your interviews with um, detectives and your own research. But a lot of it is, and then your meetings with the serial killer, which I, I want to hear all about, but then also as the beautiful writer that you are, you, there are all of these chapters in the books where you put yourself in the body of the victims and told their story as best as you could put it together. So, I mean, just, just like start at the beginning, tell us how it came, came about. I I highly recommend this book. It's amazing. I highly recommend this book too. And I've never felt about any of my books. Like I'm not a message driven writer. You know, I'm not like writing a book to convince you of something or like I'm, I'm like sharing an experience of life and this world and my unique eye for detail, perhaps, you know, is is all I ever hoped for, but I've 
I've never stood on a soapbox before, and I will do it for this book because I started by working on a novel. I was writing a mystery novel. I have been obsessed with mysteries. I've read every Agatha Christie book before I was 12 years old. And I just asked myself, you know, I'm a little bit sick of me being the center of the narrative, right? Like everything, it's like memoir, memoir. And I also do have a a lovely little novel called Pretty in there. But what has really caught fire have been my memoirs. And I was like, I want out. I want out of this story. So I'm going to do this audacious thing. I was writing a fiction book. I got an interview with this incredible detective. Her name is Mitzi Roberts. She works at the Robbery Homicide Division here in L.A., which is they're the fancy detectives that you see in all the shows. Mm -hmm. and uh, and actually, uh, if you're a reader of Michael Connolly, who's been a great champion of this book, and everyone is a reader of Michael Connolly, I think, um, his character, Renee Ballard, is based on Mitzi Roberts. And through Michael, I was able to get this coveted interview with, like, the hottest detective. And uh, I was talking to her about the Black Dahlia case. I was talking to her about historical cases. Um, and at the very end of the interview, because I'd like to leave it on a high note, I said, you know, wh- what are you the most proud of? She said, I'm the m- proud of them all, but I did catch this serial killer once, and that was pretty cool. And I was just like, I blew this entire interview. You were like, what, what? I <laughs> buried the lead. I blew the whole interview. All the iced tea is like, down to the water, you know, and I was just like, all right, give it to me quick. You know, you're like, let's order dessert. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm feeling a need for some, I I don't even know what dessert is, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, she did tell me and I went and looked him up, Samuel Little. And she told me he was an underreported, serial killer they got him on three counts of murder um and they did it through a grant through the department of justice as forensics have advanced you know we can look at cold case evidence in a new way with new materials and so they were able they got a hit they got a hit they got another hit and now you have a serial killer And so, you know, I said, I called my editor at New York Magazine and I was like, I got a serial killer here. And she was like, we're not doing another gruesome, like, serial killer story. You're going to have to have an angle. And uh, I was like, okay, you want an angle? I'm going to talk to this guy. And so I started writing him, which is how you do it, because you can't just, like, walk into a maximum security I'm here prison. to see Samuel. Yes, <laughs> I would like to see Sam Little. Um, 
Who am uh, I? Uh, <laughs> maybe you've you heard know of my that, book. Like, it made me like take my nose rings out at the. Uh, so I wait, mean, what? worst was when I first showed up at the prison. You know, my aunt is a famous psychiatrist, and she told me, "Just it's going to be what it's going to be," and like she sounded sad. When I was like, what's going to be like? What's going to be like to talk to a psychopath? And she said, it's going to be like this. He's going to ask you for your shirt off your back. And you're going to give him the shirt off your back. And at the same time, he's going to be telling you. He is stealing the shirt off your back. And you will still feel compelled to give it to him. And I thought that was probably the best summation of yeah. what my entire experience over years was with him, which is a fabulous, it's a fabulous opportunity for a journalist to have hundreds of hours of interviews, not three. It, it, it takes more than three hours to kind of get it. Right. So you wrote him back and forth. And then right. tell us about, I thought it was so, it's so good in the book. Tell us about like your first visit. You were so nervous. You had brought, tell us what you brought because quarters. Uh-huh. Okay. So she's looking I, at me like, I don't know what I brought. I'm like, I'm like what did I bring? Well, no, actually <laughs> I still have that. You can bring a clear like purse or plastic bag, right? So the the first time I actually showed up with like a baggie, but then I went to Target and got myself the proper clear purse because you were not cool <laughs> if you just had a baggie, right? And well, I know enough scumbags who have done time that I called them uh-huh. and I said like, "What do I do?" And they said, "Bring quarters for the vending machines because." You're not cool if your visitor doesn't bring quarters. And your visitor is is in some way in prison like uh, uh, a value, right? Like here's this put-together woman showing up to visit me. And she, I mean, put-together is like, I don't even know what that sounds like. But, you know... uh, Let's just say aspirationally attractive. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Hollywood word for like cute, but not too cute. Mm -hmm. Um, Showing up with quarters for the vending machines. Thank you, Sasha, wherever you may be. Um, And, you know, buying you wings and... Funyuns and little Debbie cakes. Okay, so this is really off topic, but it was a question that came to my mind reading the book. So the chicken wings. So did they were they like not cooked yet? Because did you have yeah. to go put them? Did, could you buy mic- them there, microwaves. or you bring, yeah. or you brought you chicken wings? The, no, I no, you can't bring chicken wings. Okay, you can bring this a clear plastic baggie and if you're cool i suggest you go to target and buy one um but you could also bring in a plastic bag so they you can sell bring chicken wings there yes in a vending machine i, I know right <laughs> <laughs> 
This was very surprising for me. Because I get my ideas about serial killers from the same place we do. TV, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's the same thing with police work. You know, like you think a DNA goes through in like five and a half seconds. It No, it does for an episode that someone's writing. It really takes like three right. years. The backup is so intense. Yeah. Uh, what did Sam all- do? What did What was his... In what years okay. and where? So, excellent question. Um, who Who is this man and what did he do? This man that I went in to visit and also, yes, I was extremely surprised that there were microwaves for the wings you could buy in the vending machines, but <laughs> only the visitors can use the microwaves. Okay. You, when that's like, I don't want to get bogged down in chicken wings. Get, <laughs> no, to, the, get to the killings. But, no, but it was <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll get to the killings right now because, I mean, this is the point where the killings started to like pour forth. But I was expecting like the phone and the glass and the whole thing. And no, I was in the family visiting room like, you know, with convicts and their babies. Right. You right. know, and, and and a giant section for Legos, like for the kids to play. Like you and, could give this man a hug. Oh, yeah. I hugged him. But he was a serial killer. Like, he was. Didn't, w- weren't you scared so, that he might, like, what if he was like, oh, good, I have access to a woman? Well, he planned... He planned that I'd be his last victim. I mean, he told me as much. And I could, but also, I I know how to talk to people. Like, if you just take, if you just take all the weirdness out. Like right? the serial killing weirdness. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> The, the, just forget about the whole killing for a minute. Forget about the all his downfalls yeah. and the serial killing, right? And the yeah. African adoptions and all the rest of it. You know, every single thing is just being present in the moment, right? And what I did was I remembered the names of the guards, right, and asked them about their kids. And I was always in the same place because they're always recording. Everything I ever did with Sam was recorded. Um, and But I felt like I could calculate. There were this many meters between me and the guard and how long does it take to, to strangle someone? Because the thing is that, to answer your question, Sam was a sexual strangler. Mm. Sam could Samuel little like sex for him was strangulation to the point of death and as long and painful as you could possibly make it like he would give CPR to his victims to bring them back just to put Mm. them down again because I mean it was like and that would be you know, I mean, what year was he doing these killings in in Los Angeles? Um, well, Los Angeles was what he called his killing fields, and that is because in the eighties here in Los Angeles, 
Um, a number of things happened. Um, crack mm-hmm. happened. Um, we have the first SWAT team in the nation. So all of a sudden, you know, after the Watts riots in the 60s, you know, there are um, tanks in the streets of a city. And that was the first time paramilitary tactics had been used. So uh, there were far more, uh, like, far steeper sentences for drugs used in minority communities. It left an entire population of women with their asses hanging out on Figaro Street, not knowing what to do. And uh, and they were the easiest targets. So Sam started in 71. His last murder was 2005. Wow. Yeah, he had a really successful and long career, if you want to look at it that you way. You said like over 90 victims, right? So 93 confessions. Uh-huh. Um, and those were... Those were not all mine. I, I, you know, like I got him talking. I, I kept him talking. I, I observed the entire judicial process that was happening. He was not my only, my only subject in this book, but you know, certainly a, a very impactful one. And, um, you know, so there were 93 confessions, and I happened to, I just happened to land in the middle of this federal investigation. Like, I was like, I got the underreported serial killer. Well, guess what? You're not the only one. There's also a cowboy. There is also a Texas Ranger who is 6'3", six, 6'7", six, in his hat who is getting these confessions out of Sam and is supposedly like, you know, the serial killer whisperer in the country. Um, They just needed a Texas case for him to be able to start interviewing Sam. So, you know, in a way I was observing the whole investigation. I wasn't just getting confessions from him, but, um, you know, what he did was, you know, he had a, a very, a trajectory that's very similar to what we're all familiar with, the Bundys, the Gacy's, you know, there's usually childhood sexual trauma. There's often um, traumatic brain injury, you know, get hit in the front of the head enough times. That's where our impulse control lies, Right. Um, and born with a certain genetic, like, perfect storm, mm-hmm. right, including the MAOA gene, the warrior gene, which cops also mostly have, which, you know, people in the military have. Um, but, you know, pick your sides. So he was, he became obsessed with necks. You know, and he'll tell you a million stories why. It was it was the little redhead girl in his kindergarten class. It was, you know, who just gave him snotty looks, right? 
and was just a bitch. And he always talked like he would do a woman voice, you know, and just talk with such vicious bitchery. There was such hatred there. Um, Wow. Yeah. So at what point I have two, two questions. One, this is a quick side note, but you interviewed this guy, this, um, Dr. James Fallon. Mm-hmm. So my husband, he he's basically this doctor who who tested himself, uh, who who like is famous for talking about psychopathy versus socio, soci, sociopaths, like sociopaths versus psychopaths. And right. he there's like a test, and he tested himself and found out that he was a psychopath. Well, but that a he's pet just a non-violent. I remember this. He, it, I know this scan, guy, but he's non-violent. Yeah. Right, right. You can be a so non-violent. So he says. I've, I've actually threatened him. I was like, I just think you'd be the best character. Like, what if you were really, and I'm not saying this about Dr. Fallon, he is a phenomenal intellect and um, the, one of the most interesting interviews of my life, and I hope to talk to him again. But, so- but I told him, you know, what if you, what happened was, he was doing two different studies in his graduate studies. He was studying, you know, the effects of Alzheimer's on the brain. And he was using PET scans, right? Um, and also psychopathy. And then there was just, he used his family as a, as a control, like a, yeah, group, control group, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was like, well, one of the, one of the wrong th- things wound up in this pile. Like one of the things from my family wound up in the psychopath pile. And then he was like, Oh, it's me. Uh And he went to his mom and was like, is, have, have you thought this all along? And they were like, yeah, we all, we all kind of knew there's something wrong with you. (laughs) This sounds like about right. Um, but yeah, he's a nonviolent psychopath. You know, psychopathy, sociopathy, um, there are ideas that they're the same thing, that they're different things. Really, the diagnosis is antisocial personality disorder. Right. Right. And that does show up. Like if you're, if you're scanning a brain, you're going to have way less activity in your frontal lobe. Right, which is like our executive functioning. That's what lets us think critically and say, like, maybe if even if you want to kill, mm-hmm. don't kill. Right, uh, you know, right. <laughs> just don't kill people. Mind every day, right? Um, <laughs> and also, you know, uh, less less functioning in the amygdala and the sort of reptile brain that we have that's, you know, our fight or flight response, you know, because they're predators, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a kill response to the world. So my husband interviewed Dr. Fallon as well, a lot, like years ago and had told me he was working on some show and he came home and he was like, Oh my gosh, I inter- interviewed this guy. And he's so interesting what did he say at, about at him? Irvine, but he was like, and this is before I read this part of your book. I said, Oh, there's a chapter about this doctor that I remember is the same one you saw. And he was like, Oh yeah, he's so weird. 
He said he greeted me in these like short shorts and put out this like charcuterie board. Yeah, and he's like, and then he and then he like was looking at me while he was like cutting sausage. Like, and then I start reading the book. I was like, John, John. I go and I read him the thing about the charcuterie board and the sausage and a sausage. And John's like, oh my god, nothing's changed. And he goes, you must ask her if he was wearing short shorts. No, (laughs) No. he was like, I could basically see his balls. While he was doing this. No, I definitely would have noticed that. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? He was probably fucking with him. I don't know. Honestly. (laughs) Like, no, he was was like the perfect teddy bear. That's so funny. You know, and then he took me apart. He took me apart in that interview. You know, he said, like, hold out your hand. And, you know, I have extreme anxiety. I know, I know that's really <laughs> hard to believe, but he's like, listen, you know, everyone wants a PET scan, right? And my job here is not to psychoanalyze you. I can, I will, I'll do it right now. But like my job as a psychopath is to own you. So here we go. You have extraordinarily high executive function and memory and as a result, you are a nervous wreck, and you always will be. Hmm. And I was like, just can I have one of those sausages? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a sausage hmm. now, please. I mean, and, and, and it's absolutely the truth. And he was like, hold out your hand, you know, for how long can you make it not shake? And like I gave it a shot. But the truth is, if I hold my hand out for long enough, it'll start to shake. Because wow. I have anxiety yeah. that's really profound. And also, you know, I think that motivates you too, though. You know, in the same way that being a psychopath motivated James Fallon into this incredible career. Right. You know, and, and, and that is also teaching us. About psychopathy, you know, I tried to get him Sam's brain, right? Well, hold I on. I tried to let's, get Fallon. Let's take his another. Brain. Let's take one more break. Yeah, and we'll be right back. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic. When I can, I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. So you tried to get in Sam's brain. Yeah. I want to No, hear- no, no. Oh. I tried to get his actual oh, brain. Oh, his actual brain. You tried to, to get James his Fallon. brain. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> that yeah, must have I been had- a challenge. <clears throat> you know, it wasn't. Or it shouldn't have been, except it was the middle of COVID when he died. <laughs> He oh, died. I haven't gotten to that part in the book. December 30th, 2020. And there oh, wow. were like meat trucks at the coroner's office. And I was his next of kin. He had designated me his next of kin. No wow. one. I know. But the plan was, and he knew it. I was like, I promise you, I will like get rid of your remains in a respectful way. 
I'm going to take your brain and take it to UC Irvine and also to a guy at Stanford because you don't need the entire brain, just right. need like a little slice. Right. <laughs> so I, I was entitled to that, but there's only so much time. Like a body is decomposing, right? And the brain is decomposing faster than anything else. And what they would have... I was like on the phone with them. I was in the corners <laughs> parking lot with the meat trucks in my mask, like pounding on their door. Like, I am entitled to this. I'm sorry if this seems ghoulish to you, right. but I want this brain. <laughs> Brains. And I know. I was like, I'll take a hacksaw myself, but this brain needs to be stored under certain conditions. Mm-hmm. And of course they're looking at me like, are you the weirdest person ever? And then you know what happened a year later when it all like played out? They called me and they said, we're sorry. We realized that you should have been entitled to his freaking organs. That was, that was the point. Right. You know? And, uh, but you know, you do get actually all of his possessions and uh, we have done you the favor of cremating him and you need to come pick up these ashes. And my 10-year-old at the time, now 11, um, was home from school sick with like a terrible fever. And I was like, get in the car. <laughs> wow. Get in the car. And he was like, where are we going, Ma? And I was like, we are going to the coroner's office. It is an extremely (laughs) interesting historical building in Los Angeles. Also, this is where they process dead bodies. And he was like, nice, Ma. (laughs) I just want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) Real nice. And I was like, you know what, dude, this is my job. Okay, so if you don't want to come with me and go pick up some serial killer ashes, you get a job. Mm-hmm. And also, I'll get you some McNuggets, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> but I think they probably were surprised when I, you know, dragged my 10-year-old up to the door with this sweaty little fever hand, mm-hmm. giving them the eye, you know? And like, thank you for these ashes. Oh, my gosh. Well, what was it like, like in general, being a mom and having young kids and getting obviously so wrapped up and like, this is not a nine to five job. This was probably like 24 seven thinking about this. And and also the intensity of the subject matter that you're dealing with and you're, you're taking on the point of view of these victims and each one, I mean, I can't imagine what that must have been like. Like, how did you, well, how I did mean, you navigate I, I that? did. And your husband's got like, an intense job. Yeah. Your husband's well, in Weezer. Yeah, my, my husband is a touring musician, mm-hmm. right? But this was COVID. Like, the middle, of, like, I'm almost done with the book. COVID hits. My husband isn't working. He's a touring musician. Right. He's in Weezer. That sounds very fancy to all of you. And it is very, very fancy sometimes. Right, um, Stephanie, you but, know your husband's in Duran Duran. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not true, but a lot of people think it is. Yeah, because his name's John Taylor. 
love John Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people do. It's not the same John Taylor. Yeah. Uh, well, you don't have to admit that. I mean, I don't, but then sometimes people feel robbed of the fact like they can't believe that they literally have thought that for right. 10 years and it's news to them that he's actually not. But yeah. You know, I actually have in my acknowledgments a thank you to Trevor Noah. And everyone's like, Trevor Noah. You know, because everyone like goes to yeah. read the acknowledgments you're thinking. And I read them. like, different Trevor Noah. It is. Ah. <laughs> It is a different. There's two Trevor Noahs. Yes. Oh, interesting. Sorry. That's he hilarious. Just on my team. He worked on my research team. It was amazing. But yeah, it's a different Trevor Noah. But I should just say, yeah. How many kids do you totally, have? Totally. Yeah, Trevor Noah was really helpful. I <laughs> mean, how many kids? He's been a great supporter. I have two kids, fifteen and eleven. And what you're saying is, what's it like to be a mom? Yeah. Well, it was different before COVID because all of a sudden they were making a documentary about me at that time. Right. About, Tell us so about Joe that Berlinger mm-hmm. uh, was making a documentary about my investigation process. Um, and it's called, I'm like, it's called, I think, um, <laughs> Confronting a Serial Killer. And it is on all major streaming platforms right now. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, they couldn't go to the city, the other cities they had to go to. So I've got two kids in the house. Now, I had it managed so that, like, they were out of the house before the interviews were happening. Um, we have an open floor plan. Um, you can hear anything that's going on. So, like... What was going on is I was talking to a serial killer for hours a day. And, like, you don't, you really don't, unless, like I'm saying, you know, meaning, purpose, I would will stand on a soapbox on the corner in downtown LA with this book and just say, please hear these victims, see these victims. I've never felt a passion like this but like to move my kids around like they were pieces of furniture so they didn't have to hear his voice just because you know we were just all stuck in the house together we had a covid wow. truck in our driveway thank god the covid guy was like really got along with jovi and they were <laughs> playing tag but you know so it felt like oh wow you know here's sort of this incredible, like enclosed creative environment. And also I'm the, you know, I'm the, I'm the victim. I'm victim one. (laughs) Always like to have a camera up your nose for every single second of these conversations. Um, you know, and, and do interviews that are nine hours long and I mean, it was, it was incredibly difficult for my family. And I think now, so 15 seems to be about the age that the kids start getting into true crime. And so now my kid thinks he's cool. Oh, that's nice. It, I know, because his mom, you know, got a serial killer to confess that 
That's yeah. now they know, you know. Now it's cool, but like I also have kids who comment on my Instagram, like my mom won't let me buy your book. I mean, I'm like she's I, probably right, dude. I have um, a 15 year old son, and I cannot imagine him reading this. No, I mean my kids don't read this. Yeah, they don't read this. Yeah. But they know what I do. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm like, I'm going to, you know, volunteer at the Red Cross or something. You know. Yeah. I mean, you they became- know I work in in difficult. I work with difficult and fringe subject matter. You know, I am difficult and fringe subject matter. Mm-hmm. I'm going to change all my, I'm going to change all my, like, bios to that right now so did you become close to any of the victims families yes um and to sam's family you know like Uh i became very close with his niece who is just uh, i mean if i could say like the damage that sam did to my brain to my family to just like I just felt like I was in the ultimate ring, you know. It was one of the ways we connected. Like I'm a big, I'm a big fan of the fights. I was raised that way. I can talk about, you know, pound for pound, who you think's the best in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and that's how I got to Sam. He but was a boxer. He was yeah. a boxer. He was a middleweight boxer in prison, which at the time in the fifties was, you know, uh, like a funnel into the actual boxing world. So it was possible that he could have, you know, been a successful boxer. Mm -hmm. Except, you know what? I mean, I just, I can't say what I really want to say right now. Uh, But he was a coward at the end of the day, like, he won and won and won. And the minute he lost, he got his lips split. He was so vain that he threw his boxing gloves in the trash and never picked them up again. And then just started picking on women. Hmm. That's when he started killing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm just like, really? You got your lips split? Like... See this tooth? You know how expensive this tooth is? Your front tooth. You, you know how much it hurts right now when I press on it like that? Because <laughs> I got hit in the face. I was boxing. I got hit in the face. I just, I just, I rolled the wrong direction right into an elbow and had to go to my dentist. And he was like, your teeth are so expensive. You've been hit in the face so many times. Like, please, and I had to get a root canal and have it replaced. Ooh, I know. We talk and a lot I'm about teeth like, around here. Yeah, <laughs> we do. It's a big topic for us. Serial killers and teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they're not unrelated. <laughs> I mean, seriously. They take, you know, like the human body becomes a, a thing they want to own. Right. So, like, one thing Sam is, one thing that makes Sam remarkable is he drew all his victims, right? So if they had, say, a gold tooth, which was how they just identified one of the victims in Pascagoula, Mississippi, 
was that gold tooth, you know, and they were looking for those remains and looking for that match and they got it. They just got it. You know, it's like, it seems every month I get to move a pin on my board where I actually have a board. I have a map, you know, because it was like 93 confessions, 63 now confirmed 63 women. Like how many women is that? Like you have to actually look at it. And, you know, I would say, go draw a map, go draw, you know, and put your, and put your marks on it, you know, and then look at the 30 something odd that aren't, you know, my, I, I change them to black when they're solved and they're red when they're unsolved, you know? And I mean, I, I don't know when that map will ever leave my life and I hope it will. Um, because I hope they close all these cases. It's very unlikely right. that they'll close the entire gap. But every month there's a solve. There's a detective somewhere who cares and is fighting. So everybody needs to go by this book, Behold the Monster, Jillian Lauren. Uh, and where can we like find you on social media and what's next for you? <laughs> You want to know what's next for me, really? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to secretarial school. Huh. <laughs> what? Stop it. I know. I, I, that was what I, I, that was the best I could come up with at 2 a.m. last <laughs> night. You know, you always have this like, I need a day job. And I'm like, I don't type fast enough. Like, I could easily get a job as an investigator. You Why know, don't you do that? Well, I think I'm, I may. You know, and but also like what's next for me will always be writing. Right. But this investigation thing, it got me where it got me where it gets you. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when I th- when I think, oh, I could just go write another book about anything else. Like I'm, I'm really into sports, um, you know, and, and women's sports in particularly, I think are incredibly exciting. Now women's fighting is really exciting right now. Mm-hmm. Also, I just want to go on with Joe Rogan and just, <laughs> yeah, me too. I just want to kill him, <laughs> but <laughs> Same. I just want to give him a one, two, <gasps> but, um, you know, I'm like, I could do any of these things. And what I want to do is keep working, not on Sam Little's case forever. Like right now, I invite all of you to read the book, yes. And also, you know, there are victims. It's unsolved. And more and more, you know, citizens, mm-hmm. not necessarily, you know, like or, or work in conjunction right, with law enforcement and and find people. Um, and, you know, and they're, they're an incredible group of citizen sleuths who just, you know, they're looking at the Charlie Project and the Doe Project every day. Um, so, like, this book is my invitation to everyone to just, like, join, join the fight. And not necessarily, like, it's a fight, but join the fight for for an equitable justice system. How about that? That doesn't consider, you know, certain victims. I mean, in the eighties, they would call these prostitutes, uh, you know, they call the murders in, they were finding women in dumpsters every morning in South LA. And they would call them as an, 
187 on, you know, Fifth and Main. It's an NHI, no humans involved. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, there are humans involved. Like, I felt a real passion to humanize the victims in this book and also give, you know, the straight science and the details and... I mean, the most unbelievably creepy interviews you could ever imagine. It's all there. Well, Jillian, you're doing the Lord's work. You really are. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you. And Do you have a website? Is it JillianLauren.com? Oh, and yes, JillianLauren.com. I'm also a Jillian Lauren author on many things. and Insta? And Insta, I am Jillian Lauren at Jillian Lauren. Uh, and that, you know, and I've also been doing a TikTok. They, oh, oh, my nice. kids forced me. I was like, absolutely not. But, you know, that like every post I do that's like a missing person gets thousands of views. And I'm like, that's thousands of people that would right. have seen that missing. And absolutely. they are going to talk to their friend. They're going to talk to their mother. They're like somewhere it's going to hit. Yeah. And so I was like, fine. And I do have my 15 year old running the camera. (laughs) (laughs) That's always helpful. Is that at Jillian Lauren? At Jillian Lauren. Okay. Uh, Jillian Lauren author. Okay. There we go. All right. Well, you TikTok. I'm I'm Jillian. I'm Jillian Lauren author. Okay. Yeah. We will find you. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. And everybody run. Run to wherever you buy your books and grab Behold the Monster. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.